It's Jeff if we haven't met, and we're going to jump right in. We got a full service this morning. But I'll get you thinking, kind of big picture a little bit. Sometimes, maybe you've experienced this, sometimes it's difficult to talk about God because we worship a God who is big. We always try to simplify him or minimize him and put him in little categories, and he always breaks out of the categories. (laughs) Or I could say it this way, what we want to do this morning is we want to better understand what it is we can't fully understand. So that language from a little video I'm going to show you here. It's just 90 seconds, uh, Bible project video on the complexity of God. If you'll see, I'm going to, it's going to end abruptly. You're going to want to keep watching, but I'm not going to let you. But uh, if you want to check it out, it's on the Bible project webpage. It's their theme video about God. This will kind of get us going. so. So I've got a question that's always bothered me. The Bible says there's one God, but in other parts of the Bible, God is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. How can it be both? Yeah, this is a question that has mystified people for thousands of years. And while we can't fully explain it, I think we can better understand what it is that we can't fully understand. (laughs) What do you mean? Well, think of it this way. Here's a two-dimensional plane. And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D object's above and below the plane. So now it makes sense. But imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. Now, let's take this whole thing as a visual analogy for how we experience God. The claim in the Bible is that God is transcendent, a divine being through whom we live and move and have our being. Or, as God says, I am. Okay, but I live here in this universe, so when God appears, it will make sense in some ways, but in other ways, it will break my categories. Exactly. This happens all the time when people encounter the God of the Bible. Told you, you want to keep watching. I just like that. This is a visual. We start talking about the complexity of God. I like the little visual illustration they use. They're primarily leaning into the Trinity, which we are a church that wholeheartedly believes in the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Trinity in our next series, actually our Advent series leading into Christmas. We're going to, I'm pretty excited actually. Um, we'll, we'll lean a little bit more into the Trinity and how we come to encounter that truth through God's revelation in the scriptures. But today I want to kind of hone in a little bit on what he started to say at the end there. That there is a God that we would say he's transcendent through whom we live and move and have our being. But he then also appears. This transcendent God manifests himself and manifests himself in the midst of our story, in the midst of human history. Uh, you've heard me say this a few times. I keep coming back to it. Uh, I, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I believe this is true. But we're talking about being disciples of Jesus, becoming mature in Christ. And I like to say from time to time, that mature Christians learn how to hold things in tension. When you have a God that's transcendent, and whether you are on a 2D plane with a 3D God, or you're on a 3D plane with a 4D God, or however you want to imagine it, this is a God who's bigger than us. 
And so there is always some wrestling with, with how do you hold these tensions? And the, the tensions that I guess that we'll talk about this morning as we encounter them in the biblical story is that God is transcendent, which means he's other, he's different, there's no one else like him. And, and the, the biblical worldview, there is the creator who has always been, and then there's his creation. He's transcendent, but at the same time, we can encounter this God. He appears in a variety of different ways in the biblical story. And we would talk about then, not only is he transcendent, he's also, we would say, imminent. He's near. He's personal. He's knowable. He's involved in human history. So this God is utterly unique. He's other. He's transcendent. He's above all. He's totally different than all other reality. But he's also completely involved, personal, knowable. His story is interwoven with the story of this world. And he often, we could say, rolls up his sleeves and gets in the thick of things. It's this tension of transcendence and imminence. Where on one level, we could say God seems unreachably far away. He's majestic. He's holy. He's other. (laughs) And at the same time, somehow he is intimately close. It's a tension you've got to learn to hold. And we could walk more through why this becomes so important, and the church hasn't always held this tension well. Uh, From time to time, we drift too far into the transcendent side. If you ever get into something like philosophical deism, there's this view that there is this transcendent God, but he's big and he's other, and he doesn't have time for your silly daily affairs. So I know somebody in our church this week, I won't say who, but somebody lost their their cell phone. (laughs) And had a pretty cool story of how God was kind of involved in helping this person track down their cell phone. But if you drift too far into the transcendent side of God, you'll say, God's He's holding the, the, the cosmos together. I can't ask him to help me find my cell phone. He doesn't have time for those kinds of things. That's so unimportant in the midst of everything that God is doing. But God does care, right? I mean, Jesus tells us he knows every, we'll say it this way, every hair you used to have or still have or will have someday. He cares. But I think probably more often than not currently because of the consumeristic modern day Babylon world that you and I live in, we tend to drift more towards the other side of this tension. That God is personal and knowable. And we start to think maybe he's not so big. I mean, I know he's God and he's in charge, but maybe... I'm getting pretty crafty. Maybe I can manage this God's emotions. Maybe I can manipulate this God to do my bidding. I mean, you'd never say it that way, but sometimes you start thinking, maybe I can trick God into doing what I want him to do. And we forget that he's transcendent. And he's like, I see things you can't even see. (laughs) And you have no idea what you're trying to do, right? So, So we have to hold these tensions. He's transcendent. He's other. But he also makes himself known. He's intimately close. And the reason why we hold these tensions is because we're, we are a church that believes in what God has revealed to us uh, through a variety of means. But we love to look at the Bible. We think it's really important. And one of the ways, you know, we, we are a church that believes in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We probably talk more about Jesus than the Father and the Spirit, not for any reason other than Because as you read through scriptures, I mean, on one level, we're Christians. That's what we are. (laughs) We follow Jesus. But 
But on another level, the clearest revelation of this God that is beyond us, the most accessible point for this transcendent God to make himself known to us is through the person of Jesus. And I like to say this from time to time just to remind us, there is this God that's out there, but he's come near in Jesus. And if you want to know what that God is like, get to know Jesus. Jesus is, in other words, the clearest revelation, the clearest expression of who this God is. And, and so much of the transcendence and the imminence, that tension, finds its home in this person who is fully God and has always been and is also fully man. <laughs> I, mean, that's why, that's, I mean, that's why we hold all these tensions. You just find them in Jesus. So, I'm going to read a bunch of scripture this morning, and we're going to lead our way. We're in a series on the table, so we're going to find our way at the communion table this morning. And I want to start with this idea of the transcendence, and we'll move in towards the imminent. But, but first, let me just read one, one poem. It's, a, it's an incredible poem. It's a poem you really should get familiar with if you're not. Just sit with this thing from time to time. It's in Colossians chapter 1. And Paul is writing, and the first thing he says is, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. That's what I was just saying, the clearest expression of who God is. And, and he's going to start, really, I think, by reflecting on, and it might stretch your imagination a little bit, but, but of the, the transcendence of who this God is as we encounter in Jesus. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, through Jesus, God the Father created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, but he also made these things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world, the powers and principalities. Everything was created through Christ and for Christ. He is really, really important. He existed before anything else. And listen to this. He holds all creation together. You ever get into some of these new pictures and what we're learning about our galaxy, the massive extent. I mean, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? Jesus holds it all together. He's transcendent. But then Paul kind of turns a corner in verse 18. He says, but Christ is also, he's the head of the church, which is his body. So this transcendent God is also deeply, he deeply cares about the church. He's present here at church in a unique way. Uh, the New Testament will talk about the body of Christ in three different ways, and they're all really important. And they all, it's part of what we're going to talk a lot about sacred mystery this morning as we hold these tensions. But it's all part of the sacred mystery. So on one level, the body of Christ is the physical body that is resurrected on Easter Sunday. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. But on another level, the body of Christ is his church. When we gather, sacred mystery. But somehow, when we gather, Christ is uniquely present here and we are incorporated in his life. And as we'll, in our last text this morning, as we'll read, and we've been talking about really the last two weeks, but Christ, his body is also the bread that we're going to feast on, that he feeds us with. This is his idea. And so, so this transcendent God who is holding all of the universe together right now as we speak, who's holding all those molecules together in your body right now, he's, he's present also with us here as a church and in the bread. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. 
for God in all his fullness. The, the transcendent God was pleased to live in Christ, to dwell in Christ, to tabernacle among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's this personal, intimate relationship. Through him, through Christ, God has reconciled everything to himself. And he's brought about peace. He's made peace. The Prince of Peace has made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. By means of Christ's blood on the cross. So again, this tension, this, this transcendent God is involved in the human story to the point that we can talk about his blood on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's tension. Now maybe Colossians 1, 15 to 20, maybe you need to sit with it a little bit. It's poetic. Maybe you get into the poetry and you get it. Maybe you need to sit with it longer. Maybe it's just easy for you to say God is at church. A lot of times as a pastor, I ask people, tell me about your spiritual journey. And it's pretty common for people, well, I went to this church and then I went to this church. And we, we kind of intuitively know that God is at church. So I want to push a little bit beyond that as we go deeper into this tension. I want to give you a little bit more language to think about, to talk about, maybe just to answer the question, where is Jesus right now? Where is Jesus? I mean, if somebody asked you, where's Jesus? What would you say? Where is Jesus? Well, let's start in Ephesians chapter 1, another great uh, passage from the Apostle Paul. He's kind of wrapping up a prayer for the church there, and, and this is what he says. I actually talked a little bit more about this on Ascension Sunday about a year ago. The ascension is really important. We talk about the life and death and resurrection and the ascension of Jesus great theological significance. And Paul is reflecting on that. And this is what he says. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him where? In the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So you could very accurately say, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. Well, what does that mean? Well, what does Paul continue to say? Paul is going to kind of reflect on what this means for Christ's power and authority. He's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, right? He's transcendent. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. It's another way of accessing this language of the kingdom of God. Christ is king. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He is supreme. He is above all. And so sometimes we'll talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where Christ is ruling and reigning right now. So we would say, where is the resurrected Christ ruling and reigning right now? Everywhere. <laughs> He's king right now. His, his crucifixion was his enthronement. So Jesus is Lord. The significance of that is massive. But Jesus is Lord, and so he's seated at the right hand. He's so, so he's transcendent. He's everywhere. You say, could you be a little bit clearer? Well, let's just read the next verse. It's another verse to memorize. The church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. So you and I are being made full and complete by Christ. And what does he say? Christ who fills all things Everywhere with himself. 
Man, anytime you start thinking that you can kind of pull one over on God, I know what to say. I'll be sneaky. This worked on my grandparents or my parents. I'll just snuggle up next to you and get you to do what I want you to do. Just remember that actually Christ fills all things everywhere. Uh, he's not, he's, he fills all things. I mean, that's just, this is who this God is. All things everywhere filled with himself. Well, let's keep moving because is that the only answer to the question? Where is Jesus? Is he only at the right hand of the Father? Well, let's go to another passage. It's a, it's a part of a bigger passage. It's in a parable that Jesus preached near the end of his life. We find it in Matthew 25, a very important passage. I actually, whenever I study the first 500 years or so of the early church and you think about what made the church distinct and why did it grow and what caught people's attention, and I think a big part of it was because the early church took this passage very seriously. They wanted to be with Jesus. They knew Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. They knew that. But they also believed these words. You'll see what Jesus is saying, Matthew 25, verse 37. The righteous ones will reply, Lord, when you're Lord, you're king, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? A stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It doesn't say for me, to me. So you and I can accurately say, where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. Where is Jesus? He's among the least of these. He's among the suffering. Let me go a step further. Where's Jesus? Well, he's at the right hand of the Father, but I think he's at a couple other places we could say. Some of you know I went to an undergraduate school that made me way too passionate about college football. I can only apologize for it. But I love college football, and there's a lot of traditions that I really, I just think it's fun. But I will tell you humbly, you can disagree with me, but you're wrong. But I will tell you there is one football, college football tradition that just, it's just way better than the rest. And shockingly, it's one of the newer traditions out there. I would say the, the Kinnick Wave. Have you watched an Iowa football game where the first quarter ends? And 70,000 people turn to this hospital that's overlooking the field. And there's a row of children cancer patients. And everyone waves. I mean, every time I see it, it hits me because I get sucked into the silliness of college football. And it just awakens me that there's so much more in life. But let me say it so you feel it. Where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father, but he's on that children's wing at Kinnick Stadium. Some of you are Hawkeye alum and you're like, yeah, Jesus is there. He is. But Jesus is also at Hope Haven down the road. I mean, we could say Jesus woke up this morning because he was sleeping under a bridge in downtown Chicago. We could say Jesus is right now, he's currently, might sound crazy, but it's true. Jesus is in the DeKalb jail right now. A couple weeks ago, Al Tierney stood up here with all his passion. He's right back there, all his passion. You can still talk to him. And he said, hey, we're going to go into the Cal County Jail. Why? Because Jesus is there. Why else would you go? Because Jesus is there. 
We had some missionary friends here not that long ago who are doing prison work in Lebanon. Where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father, and he's in prison in Lebanon. That's where Jesus is. He's among the suffering and among the least of these. But let's go a little farther then. Maybe you need something a little bit more personal. A passage that's really important to our church, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the resurrected Jesus commissioning all of us, really. He says, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That's what Stan was talking about. And notice this. Jesus says, be sure of this. Don't miss this. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always. Just let that truth sit with your heart for a while. Because I've been a pastor and a Christian long enough to know that you will go through seasons where it doesn't feel that way. Now, what do we say about our emotions? We take our emotions very seriously And they are incredibly important windows, but they're horrible leaders. So just because it doesn't feel like Jesus is there doesn't mean he's not, because guess what? He's with you always. And I hope that we continue to learn this together. This is one of the reasons why we need the church and we need each other, because there are going to be times, you guys know that famous footprints poem, right, where I was walking and I looked back at the hardest seasons and there was only one set of footprints in the sand. Where were you, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I was carrying you. It's a good little poem story, but I think it's tapping into reality. And there are going to be seasons when you feel despair or alone or abandoned, and you're going to need brothers and sisters to be your eyes of faith so that you, I can't see Jesus right now. He's with you and I can see him. And so as, as a family, I am going to, I need you, and I'm going to trust your testimony of Jesus in my life, because I don't feel it right now. My feelings don't dictate reality. They're good windows into what's going on in my heart, but, but the Word of God dictates reality. <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm with you always. So where is Jesus? Well, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's at Kinnick Stadium. (laughs) And he's with you always. But our last little point, our our main text, took us a while to get there, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And again, it's a part of a larger argument. Uh, Paul is, you can read it on your own. He's dealing with some of the idolatry and some of the things that the church in Corinth was dealing with. But in the midst of this bigger argument, he makes a little comment about the Lord's Supper that I think is important for this conversation this morning. He says, dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. He says, you're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood? Some of you have been around church long enough to have heard the Greek word koinonia. That's the word koinonia. Aren't we fellowshipping with Christ? Aren't we participating with Christ? Aren't we communing with Christ? The blood of Christ. And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the 
body of Christ in a very real way, sacred mystery. Again, we confess more than we can explain, but this is what the text says. And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body, one Lord, one Savior, right? So where is Christ? Well, He's at the right hand of the Father. He is with the least of these. Uh, He is with you always, and He is in this meal that we're about to participate in. He's in the meal. Jesus is in the bread and the wine of communion. Last week, we looked at the Last Supper, and Jesus' words were, this is my body, and this is my blood. Paul is saying the cup of blessing in this bread is our participation, our sharing, our common union in the body and blood of Jesus. So please, please, please don't drift somewhere where you say, oh, it's just all symbolic. It's not. It's not all symbolism. I'm not going to try to explain it to you because we get in all kinds of trouble. I'm just asking you by faith to believe and even anticipate that you are meeting personally with the transcendent creator of all things. The one who's holding. I mean, imagine what that does for you. I know you got stuff going on in your life. Guess what? In just a minute, you get to dine with the one who can do stuff about it. The one who is pure goodness and love, who you can trust, even if things aren't going the way you want them to go. You can trust that he's in control. And he's working all things for good. That's another promise we get in the scriptures. And as we participate in this, again, we've talked a little bit about John chapter 6, but as we participate in this, we, we 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 become a part of what Jesus is doing. Jesus becomes a part of who we are. We participate in him and with him, and and then we participate in his work in the world. I mean, in some ways, we could say that the kingdom of God is It's just come. It's breaking forth since the resurrection of Jesus. And when we come to this table, we come in in some sense to the epicenter, the real epicenter of the kingdom of God where Jesus meets us. And the body and the blood of Christ are communicated to us through the bread and the wine. And we, 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 again, John 6 language, we feed on the body of Christ through communion that we might be the body of Christ as his church. Or I could say it this way, it's supernatural. It's a, and, 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 and when I say that, I mean it's, it's a portal to another world. I mean, Jesus, again, being fully God and fully man is the ultimate place where heaven and earth come together, right? He's, he's the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. And as we feast on this, we're, we're feasting on the fruit from the tree of life. As we feast at the table, we are in a sense, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth are coming together. And you and I are transported there. (laughs) Again, I'm not going to try to explain it. I just confess it. That's the table that Jesus is inviting you to. Don't overthink it. I don't need you to go home and write an essay You're allowed to have doubts and questions and not understand it all, but come by faith. (laughs) 
with an anticipation of meeting with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Or let me try another way to give you kind of a picture. So one of the things, Jay and I started a long time ago just working our way through all these literary works that are just incredible, right? And I, um, we, are, we do audiobooks now when we're driving around, and so we're back into the Chronicles of Narnia for probably the third time. And the Chronicles of Narnia, they're pretty short books, and so they don't create the same literary world that some of these other books do, but I still, just personally, there's no one like Aslan in all of literary works. <laughs> Aslan is this great lion, this golden lion, and C.S. Lewis masterfully writes him at, as a reflection upon the person of Jesus. Some of my best conversations about Jesus when Jay was young came because we were reading these books and talking about Aslan. So parents, it's a gift from the church that's gone before you. Pick it up and read with your kids. But in the first book, you've got these kids. It's not even the four famous ones. It's Diggory and Polly. You might not even know they exist. But they've traveled to kind of this world between worlds, and they've entered into the beginning of Narnia, and they're coming home, and they need a portal to get from Narnia back to London and Aslan. He's just, he just is their portal. <laughs> and so listen to what Lewis says, and then I want you to bring this imagination with you to the table this morning. Both the children were looking up into the lion's face as he spoke these words, and all at once, they never knew exactly how it happened. The face seemed to be a sea of tossing gold in which they were now floating around. And such a sweetness and power rolled about them and over them and entered them that they felt that they had never really been happy or wise or good or even alive and awake. In Lewis's world, Aslan is life itself. In our world, Jesus is life itself. And as these two kids look into the eyes, as you dine with Jesus this morning, you are life itself, the great I am, the eternal now. And maybe you'll have, I've never been, I've never been alive before this. I've been just living this facade on the surface. And Jesus, this is real life. This is true life. I'm finally awake, right? And he says, the memory of that moment stayed with them always so that as long as they both lived, if ever they were sad or afraid or angry, the thought of all that golden goodness and the feeling that it was still there quite close, just around some corner or just behind some door would come back and make them sure deep down inside that all was well. So I'm praying for you this morning that as you come to the table, and we're going to actually have you come forward this morning, if you're willing. As you come to the table, I want you to come prepared to experience, can I say it this way, the golden goodness of Jesus. Now, that may just come from hearing Jesus say that he delights in you, that he loves you. It may be a more painful moment. It's not always fun, but maybe... You've been carrying around a lot of conviction this week and you need to get it off your, off your chest and you need to ask, you confess it between you and Jesus as you come forward. You just, you're reminded that he's taken care, he's forgiven you. Maybe it's the assurance of forgiveness. You're, but you're going to come forward and partake. And, and, and what we're going to do is you have three stations, uh, bread and juice. So there'll be a station here. You'll come down, the ushers will dismiss you. You'll come down that row. We'll have a gluten-free station over here. If you're gluten-free, you'll come down this row. And if you're over here, you can go over here for gluten-free. And we'll have a station in the middle. The ushers will dismiss you. And you're going to take the bread. 
I want you to engage all five senses. I want you to be looking around you and see all the other people who have gotten up because they believe in the same Lord as you. I want you to feel the bread in your hand. You're going to dip it in the cup. Don't put your hand in, just the bread. But as you pull it out, I want you to even try to smell it. Jay was at first service, my son, and he like over the top smelled it. I was like, okay, Jay, you made your point. You don't need to do that. But, but, but don't be in a hurry. This isn't an assembly line. You're going to hear the good news proclaimed, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, and then you're going to taste it. All five senses involved. And so you're going to come forward, and, and, and you, can, you can smile. You can say thank you. You can shed tears of healing. Or you can just say amen, this is true. But you're going to come forward and taste of the golden goodness of Jesus. And I also want to be sensitive if for some reason health concerns that dipping in a common cup is not good. We do have the normal tray in the back, so you can head back there if you want to do that as well. But I'm going to invite our servers to come forward and get situated. And then I'm going to invite the rest of you with this call. Are you thirsty? Come. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. For those who are thirsty for him and for those who want to thirst for him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. So as the ushers dismiss you, please come.